I'm Kate Daniels. We know our healthcare workers are working in a most challenging time dealing with COVID. Rich Blooney, an RN, a motivational speaker and author, is here to share some ways to deal with it. And it's not just for nurses. We can all benefit. Rich Blooney, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. I'm looking forward to As I am, too, because I know you have some really good information to share with us. We have a chance to bring some inspiration to the front lines, and in particular, you as a nurse, as a nursing professional, but now more as a a motivational speaker or writer, are focusing on supporting nursing and really all frontline medical staff during this time. What a crazy time. Yeah, no, I mean, this is unprecedented in so many ways. The good news, and I'm somebody that's always trying to find the good news in the tough things, the good news about even these difficult times, especially as it relates to people in healthcare, nurses, doctors, respiratory therapists, physical therapists, and everybody else, because sometimes, you know, there's always that one person that goes, you forgot to mention pharmacy, but all everybody, anybody that works in healthcare, in the fringes of healthcare, support of healthcare, whether you're cleaning things, fixing things, serving food, it doesn't matter. You know, the most interesting thing is, and I've heard this said from a colleague of mine, people in healthcare and speaking as a nurse, we're built for this. You know, we're built for change. We're built for bouncing back. We're built for resilience. We can get pushed to our limits at times, but, you know, this is a group of people that on many levels, we're ready to go. As hard as it's been, as tough as it's been, uh, these are the right people for the right job, the special forces uh, if you will, in healthcare. So all being said, it's been tough. It's going to be tough, but it was the, the right people for the right job. And my heart just breaks thinking of, you know, some of the terrible situations that are being encountered now. I think about California and how hospitals are maxing out and people are being treated in their cars or lined up in ambulances. And I'm sure it's happening in others. That has is the one I heard on the news. It has to be just such a challenge for the staff who really want to help, but yet they have to be so wrung out because they're on the go constantly. But, you know, the thing about people in healthcare is they're excellent at taking care of other people, but they're really, really, really not so great at taking care of themselves. People that are constantly pouring out of themselves and constantly giving of themselves sort of forget to check in. And one of the things that I always recommend for folks, now I've been a nurse now almost 30 years and I've worked pediatric oncology, pediatric ICU. I was a flight nurse. I was a trauma nurse at a level one trauma center, an emergency department director. I was a risk manager and I was an administrator in charge of patient safety and quality. So I've kind of run the gamut. I've seen a lot of really, really tough things in my life. And in the moments of my life and the times of my life where things were bad, maybe not during a pandemic, but could have been during some other, you know, really trying and difficult situations. I realized very quickly that I wasn't checking in with myself. I wasn't taking care of myself. But I think in these times, it is when the folks in healthcare need to do two things. First of all, they need to take care of themselves, and that's something that they have to take responsibility for. It doesn't just happen. Uh, And second of all, we need to check in with each other and need to make sure that we're helping our partner or colleagues as we're going through these tough times. And so we can certainly talk a little bit more about what that looks like and maybe some how-tos as it relates to that. Well, let's just do that. Since it's being mentioned, we'll just get right into what that self-care looks like, how to do it. Yeah, you know, 
first of all, it's acknowledging that you need it, right? I mean, the beginning of every, of any situation or any problem, if you're talking about a relationship, if you're talking about parenting, if you're talking about a significant other, if you're talking about your business or whatever it is, the first thing you have to do is recognize the issue. The people in, in the recovery world and the people that are helping people that are dealing with addiction and different things, it's always about admitting you have a problem, right? I mean, you have to say it first. So sometimes it's just going, yo, I'm not feeling good. I'm tired. I don't want to do this. I'm driving to work and my heart's pounding in my chest and I'm having anxiety. So it's just acknowledging that there's something going on and that you're having a tough time. And so then what? Well, I mean, of course, there's the obvious. So there's talking to somebody. That's There are professionals. There are people who are amazing at being able to, to pull out of you some, some conversations. There's nothing wrong with therapy. There's nothing wrong with talking to a psychologist or a therapist or, or somebody who can kind of help you work through those things. But, you know, just like as a trauma nurse, there's stuff that has to happen in the immediate and there's stuff that has to happen in the long term. If you're injured and you get a giant piece of glass goes through your arm and you're at home, you just can't stand there and wait until the professionals show up. Like, let me just bleed until fire rescue gets here and then I'm in the hospital and the surgeon can sew me up. I and mean, you've kind of got to take some actions in the moment, right? So most people listen in common sense. You know, you're going to put some pressure on it. You're going to get a towel or something and press it down and, and stop the bleeding. So first, it's admitting you have a problem, and then second, it's doing something in the immediate to help that. One of the first things that I have found has worked for me, you know, I worked in areas where I saw children die every single day. When I was in trauma, I saw deaths 5, 6, 10, 12, 15 times a day, no exaggeration. And I realized one day driving to work that I was in a state of anxiety, that my chest, my heart was pounding, my chest felt tight, I was having a heart attack. And what I was having was sort of like an anxiety attack, really. And I started really studying this and researching this. And I realized when I was having those moments that I learned a breathing technique. Now, this is probably familiar to a lot of people in your audience, but for some it might not. And it's as simple as taking a breath through your nose in for four seconds, holding it for four seconds, and then exhaling out of your mouth for four seconds. So four, four, four. Breathe in for four, hold for four, breathe out for four. I actually learned later on, after reading a few books and listening to some podcasts, this is something the Navy SEALs do. So, I mean, gosh, if it works for Navy SEALs, it can work for us, right? And when I learned this technique, it was basically putting the pressure on the bleeding. I would do that. You know, I'd clock in. I'd go sit in the lounge before maybe it was time for me to start going to work, or sometimes I'd do it in the parking lot. And I have to tell you, Kate, it had an amazing physiological effect on the amount of anxiety and stress that I felt. So many people walk into stressful situations unprepared. It's silly. You know, we think about how when you're going into an emergency situation, you do certain things, right? You know, firefighters put on their fire gear before they run into a burning building. They don't run in a t-shirt and slacks. And this is to protect themselves before they go into a dangerous situation. Yet a respiratory therapist or a nurse or a physician, man, they hit the ground running, pull into the parking lot or get off the bus or get off the train and run in, clock in, and boom, they're in the middle of it. So I would recommend, very simple, and it's so simple that it sounds almost like it would be ineffective, but I can almost promise that this technique, and you do it for maybe five minutes if you can manage, it's something that brings you down to a place, for some people, where you can feel almost like it's more of a manageable kind of thing. So first, it's kind of taking control over your physiology, and that's one way to do it. 
And you know what I love about that, too? It reminds me of something I heard early on in this pandemic about doing breathing exercises to make sure our lungs are strengthened. So it seems like we have at least a two-prong effect of not even more benefits from this. Yeah, there's something that you carry with you through your entire life from the moment you're born until you pass, and that's your breath, right? I mean, your breath is always there with you. If it's not with you, you're, you're in trouble. So no matter what, that's something that you have. And, you know, whether you look at mindfulness techniques or meditation techniques or yoga or anything, even in the spiritual world, there's a lot about your breath. So there's some power to that. That's the first thing that I would say to do, because it's something that we forget to do. And I have to tell you that, you know, when I was a trauma nurse in Miami and they'd say, you know, we're bringing in, you know, four gunshots victims, you know, that drive-by shooting. And I knew it was going to be utter pandemonium. You've got 100 family members now have shut up in the waiting room. People are screaming and yelling. There's 45 police officers and SWAT team members in there because it's gang-related, and they're worried that all this crazy stuff. That was when I learned this technique. And I would literally, I could see myself right now, and I'm in my 50s, but I could see myself in my 20s and my 30s standing there in gown from head to toe, hearing the ambulances, hearing the sirens in the distance, And just kind of having that lull of maybe 30 seconds or a minute where I would just do this breathing thing. And there were times that I almost felt like Batman by the time that the patients came in because I got myself after, you know, months of practicing, got myself to a place where I felt ready for anything. I think it's something that would help people and it's something that's so simple to do. If you've never done it before, don't do it when you're driving because some people with the holding the breath part get a little bit dizzy, but just practice it. It's super simple. Yeah, super terrific as a good, strong first step. So further to that, because this is going on and on, and it seems as it continues, the goalpost seems to move a little further out as to how long we might be living in this. So what else can these hard-driving, hard-working staff do to uh, keep themselves motivated and going? I think gratitude is a powerful tool. You know, if I look back over my life and I look back over my toughest days, um, times where I would have described myself as being depressed or anxious or struggling, and there were many. I mean, most people, unless you've lived some magical, charmed life, you've experienced that. I have found that being very thoughtful and very prescriptive about gratitude is probably second to the breathing as being able to be something that completely just changes not only your physiology, but now we're getting more into a deeper place. Look, okay, people are struggling physically. They're tired. You know, the average, I'm just going to use a nurse, for example, you know, you work a 12-hour shift, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. or 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Even on a day that maybe doesn't throw you a lot of challenges, it's just tough just being on your feet that much. We don't take care of ourselves. We don't eat like we should. We don't drink enough water. We don't, we don't because we're busy pouring ourselves out into everybody else. And then that goes on day after day. And then we have our own you know, significant others and our families and our lives and everything else. And that pulls a drain on you. And you start to feel like when you look around in your life, like, wow, everything is coming at me. Nothing's going right. I'm struggling. I'm having a tough time. And I think that's when you've got to sit down and take that minute of gratitude. We all have that minute. I used to think about when someone first suggested this to me and I was thinking about being a busy nurse working a level one trauma center, I was like, man, I don't even sometimes have a break. I don't eat meals sometimes, right? I'd shove something, a, a protein bar down my throat really quick, running back from the bathroom and 
you know, I, I think I drank half a glass of water in 12 hours. You know, I, I think I complained, but there's no way. And finally I realized, you know what, um, I've got to find it. So sometimes it was just after I dropped off a patient in the OR and I'm taking the elevator back down to the trauma center and I have the minute ride in the elevator, that would be when I started a gratitude practice. So on a high level, you can do it at home. You wake up in the morning and maybe set your alarm 10 minutes early. I know that sounds terrible. Like, oh my gosh, I need every minute, but five, 10 minutes isn't going to, isn't going to hurt anybody. Have a journal, go buy some cheap notebook. It doesn't have to be something fancy. If you're really fancy, you can go buy some beautiful leather journal that looks like it was crafted by hobbits, you know, in, in some book of fantasy or game of thrones, but just a notebook and a pen. And when you wake up in the morning, get your legs to the side of the bed, put your feet on the ground, grab the notebook, grab the pen, and write the first three things that you're grateful for. It could be anything you want. It could be, I'm grateful that I'm awake right now. I'm grateful that it's my day off. I'm grateful that my kids are healthy. I'm grateful that my significant other made me coffee. I'm grateful that the dog didn't wake me up at five in the morning to go to the bathroom like he did four days in a row, whatever. It could be a silly, it could be mundane, whatever it has to be. I've been doing this as a daily practice for probably 15 years at this point. I'm very big on journaling and I have found that that has been absolutely life-saving for me. Write down what you're grateful for. That's the first way that you start your day. And I would then suggest that when you go through your day, as tough as it might be, as difficult as it might be, as challenging as it might be, that before you walk out or clock out from work, have a partner. Maybe do this as a team or as a group or as a department. Just say, hey, what's one thing that you're grateful for today? Literally have this as a conversation. We started doing it, and of course, nurses and healthcare people being what we are, you know, we could be very sarcastic and our humor can kind of lean over to kind of the dark side sometimes, but even that's okay. So sometimes it was like, you know, I'm grateful nobody died today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm grateful that, you know, I remember when I worked in a really tough hospital, I remember one time turning to a friend and jokingly saying, I'm grateful no one pulled a gun on me. You know, we laughed and, but that's exactly what the purpose of this is. First of all, it sometimes does create some funny moments and we'll talk about laughter in a second. Second of all, it tends to be that what you look for in life, you find. I mean, I'm sure you find this in the radio world. I'm sure you find this in your career, Kate. You know, have you ever been somewhere where everybody basically has the same day, like the same stuff happened, the same challenges happened, et cetera, et cetera? Have you ever noticed in your life, personal or professional, that one person at the end of the day was like, wow, it was an awesome day. And the other person's like, this is like the worst day I've ever had in my life. Have you ever yes. felt that or seen that in your life? Oh, yes. Yeah. So, it had nothing to do with the day, right? Everybody experienced the same experience. Everybody had the same challenges. Everybody had the same, you know, things not work or work or whatever. But it just happens to be that certain people are looking for the good and certain people aren't. And I think when you're looking for what you're grateful for, when you are purposeful, when you're literally saying, like, I would challenge everybody listening. I want you today to find three things that you're grateful for. I don't care if you're in the most miserable you've ever been in in your life, whatever you're going through. Make it your purpose today for the rest of the day that you're going to find three things to be grateful for. And then try it again the next day and the next day and the next day and make that something that you do on purpose. What's funny about human beings is what we ask people to look for, they tend to find. You know, I talk about this in my talks a lot when I have back in the day when I was in front of live audiences, and hopefully that'll come back soon. Mostly I'm doing virtual stuff. But, you know, I'd have audiences of five, 6,000 people sometimes. And I'd always say, you know, raise your hand if you drive a yellow car. 
And believe it or not, even in an audience of 5,000 people, if I even saw five hands out of 5,000, it was amazing. It was very unusual. Smaller groups, sometimes I'd have nobody. And I'd say, all right, so I've just done a statistical analysis. Apparently, there's not a lot of yellow cars in the world. And then I'd just go, yellow car, yellow car, yellow car, yellow car. And I'd say, you notice that for the next two weeks as you drive around, as you experience the world, you're going to see yellow cars everywhere you go. And on my Facebook page, on, on my, my TikTok page, on my YouTube, on my Instagram, all the, all the socials afterwards, I would start getting people sending me messages like, oh, my gosh, I'm seeing yellow cars everywhere. Those yellow cars always existed. They were always there. But you were never asked to look for them. So if you look for something, if you're thinking about something, if you're putting it in your mind, it's strange how those things – it's just an awareness tool. It's something that's very simple. It's human psychology. But one of the things, especially when people are really just having a tough time and really, really struggling, is to be purposeful and prescriptive about saying, I'm going to find things to be grateful for today. I'm going to be on the lookout for them. And it's amazing at what that does to your mind, what that does to your spirit, and how that gives you this little extra edge that people who aren't doing it don't have. And sometimes we can relate to this. We find that there are these self-fulfilling prophecies that go on in our lives. So that's a way to see this. Yeah. I mean, think about relationships. Think about people that you know that we all know them. And and maybe it's some of us. But think about people who are constantly in relationship drama. And we all have that friend or that cousin or that, that loved one that we're, we're constantly getting the calls in the middle of the night. It's so horrible. This is what happened. And you think to yourself, this person keeps dating the same person over and over again. They just have a different name. <laughs> they have a different address. And, and, you know, it's these patterns. And it's like Einstein said. And, and some people say that he didn't say this. Some people said that he did say it. But whatever, it's still great. That, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting to get a different result, right? So in healthcare and in life and in the world, if you're doing the same things over and over again, why in the world would you expect something different to happen? Like, you know, I'm going to wake up every morning and have a Snicker bar and a Coke for breakfast, and then I'm going to drink no water. I'm going to get no exercise. I'm going to have, you know, four cheeseburgers for dinner and some French fries, and I'm going to watch TV until I fall asleep on the sofa, and I just don't understand why I don't feel good. But I'm going to do it again tomorrow because maybe tomorrow it will be different. No, it's going to be the same. So just like if you constantly don't take care of your body, if you don't keep, take care of your mind and your spirit, doing that over and over again is not going to get you a, a different result. But once you change what you do, just a small change, just a little change. I used to be a personal trainer before I was a nurse. That's how I helped pay for school. And I would notice that with people who wanted to experience weight loss, that if I could just get them to drop, and for some reason I don't know why this number was the number, five pounds. If it was five pounds, if I could get them their first five pounds, all of a sudden they saw possibility. They got to a place where, oh my gosh, you know, I can do this. And it was small little things that we would do, little incremental little changes. And I think it's the same for people's spirits. It's the same for people's energy. It's the same for people's burnout. That if you can just do a couple of little things that maybe no one's ever asked you to do before, or you might smirk at, like there's people that you're listening to like, Find three things I'm grateful for. Big deal, you know, ah, magical, huh? No, it really does do something. Like it legitimately, I mean, I'm living proof of this. There's no doubt in my mind. And I've seen this work for thousands of people. So here's the challenge. For the next three weeks, let's say, 
every day, no matter what you do for work. And we're certainly talking about our wonderful healthcare folks, but this, I don't care what you do. I don't care if you're an Uber driver or you work at a restaurant or you're a nurse or you're a teacher or a firefighter or a police officer or, or an amazing, you know, radio DJ. It doesn't matter. Whatever you do for the next three weeks, your goal is that by the end of the day, you've got to be able to write down three things you're grateful for. Watch what that does. Watch what that does and watch how your mind starts to change a little bit over the course of the three weeks that, as you said, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because if you're looking for something and all of a sudden you're writing it down, it's almost as if you're thinking to yourself, wow, all of a sudden all these great things are happening to me. No, it's just like all those yellow cars that are driving around you all over the place. And I smirk when I think to myself that someone's going to listen to this, you know, driving down the road. And as we're talking, they're going to see a yellow car. It's going to seem like this magical moment, right? But those cars were always there. It's just your ability to become awakened and to start noticing it. So I think to be able to notice what you're grateful for, to be able to look for it is this awakened kind of feeling. So I would suggest for all my colleagues and brothers and sisters in healthcare, as tough as these days are, as tough as a shift can be, as tough as a day at work can be, as sad as some of the things are that you see, as stressed as you might be, start looking for things to be grateful for every day and help each other. Talk about it. Ask somebody, hey, this was a tough day. I need your help. Tell me three things you were grateful for. Because sometimes just hearing what somebody else is grateful for kind of lifts your spirit. And it might get them thinking about that if they have not been doing so already. So, yes. Well, I mean, 100%. I mean, have you ever had that experience if, if you have somebody that you live with or, or that you're hanging out with and they turn to you and they go, hey, what do you want for dinner? And you're like, yeah, I'm not really that hungry. And the person says, yeah, I'm really hungry. I was thinking of ordering pizza. And you're like, yeah, but I'm, I'm not that hungry, so I'm, I'm good. You go ahead. And so they order pizza, and the pizza shows up. And inevitably, what do you do? You <laughs> eat the pizza because you were hungry. But it wasn't until the person started talking about being hungry and started talking about pizza, and then you smelled the pizza, and you saw them eating it, and you're like, oh, I'm really hungry. I haven't eaten today, right? It's the same with this. Sometimes you don't realize that you're grateful. Sometimes you don't realize that there's things to be grateful for. And then when you hear somebody say, I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful that my kids are doing well. I'm grateful that my significant other got a promotion at work and we have a little extra money coming in. I'm grateful that – and when you hear this other person saying it, all of a sudden it triggers within you that quote-unquote hunger. Now all of a sudden it's like the pizza. Now all of a sudden you're like, yeah, you know, I'm grateful that I'm healthy. Yeah, you know, I'm grateful for this too. And it is an interesting thing. That's why when you get in a group of people – that all start complaining and moaning and, and groaning about how horrible everything is. I call them, and it's a common term, psychic vampires. They suck the happiness and the joy out of the room. That's why when you're around those people, have you ever noticed that your energy starts to mirror that negative energy? And so that's another thing. Be really wary, especially as healthcare folks, of who you're spending your downtime with. Should you get downtime, should you get a break, anybody, don't go to lunch and hang out with the people that complain and moan about everything, even if they're fun, even if you love them. Kind of surround yourself with that person that cracks jokes, that tells funny stories, that always has a you know, funny meme on their phone or is looking at funny YouTube videos. When you've got a second to take a break, when you've got that moment, surround yourself with that energy. And if you are that person, make sure that you're sharing that. Everybody needs you know, the class clown. The class clown has a role. Sometimes the class clown breaks up monotony. They change the energy. They elevate the mood. So be very purposeful about who you surround yourself with. There's a quote 
attributed to many people. I've heard it from Tim Ferriss, but I think it came from Jim Rohn that you are the product of the five people you spend the most time with. And gosh, I don't know about you, but if I look back over my life, the time that I was spending, even as a kid, you know, what did mom and dad always say? You know, be careful who you hang out with or you'll be judged by who you hang out with. Mm-hmm. So when you're having stressful times, the last thing in the world you need is somebody that's going to sit there and just, you know, complain about the stressful times. You know, you need that person, that, that eternal optimist that's always in a good mood and cracking jokes. And you feed off that energy, and that energy is something that will help kind of get you through sometimes. And therein lies where we might have some of that laughter you were saying, how that too is. I don't know that you necessarily said good medicine, but how laughter is important. A hundred percent. I mean, if you were bored one day and you wanted to Google laughter brain health or laughter brain chemicals, you would be surprised at what you learned. And laughter does amazing things. They've done studies of cancer patients. I remember in the 90s, late 80s, early 90s, I lost my dad at a very young age. My dad passed away when I was in my early 20s. And my dad had a very aggressive type of cancer. And I remember they had a room in the oncology department that they had VHS tapes. You guys remember videotapes? <laughs> there was videotapes, okay? It was even before DVDs or downloads. So they had all these, they had these comedy tapes. And my dad was born in 1930. So there was a certain genre of comedy. He loved these old school, like the Marx Brothers and Abbott and Costello and the Three Stooges, things that were very popular in the 30s, the 40s, and even to the 50s. And they just happened to have some of these things. And my dad was in this very depressed state. He was not eating. It was clear he was end stage. He was suffering. Long story short, I found an Abbott and Costello video. I brought it into his room. I put it in the machine. It started playing. His eyes started going towards the TV. And I get emotional even thinking about this, but I remember being 21 years old, looking at my father, who at that point, unbeknownst to him and I, was about three months away from dying. And for that very brief, maybe 30 minutes, he was not a 50-something-year-old man who was at the end of his life. But he was an eight-year-old kid who was sitting in that movie theater in Brooklyn, New York. He used to always tell me about that for a nickel, you could see five movies, get a bag of popcorn and a Chevy. Apparently, nickels went really far back in those days. But um, kidding aside, he became this little kid, and he was laughing. And the movie finished, and he's like, oh, my gosh, that's one of my favorites. And he looked at me. He said, do you think you could get me a chocolate shake? And he hadn't eaten in two days. I mean, nothing. He just had IV fluids and some, some water. And I went downstairs to the cafeteria, and I got him a chocolate shake, and he drank the whole thing. Now, am I saying that laughing cured his cancer? No, it didn't, because he died three months later. But what I am saying is that laughter had a clear and direct effect on his state in that moment. I used that many times. I was a pediatric nurse. I took care of children with cancer. I was a pediatric ICU nurse. I took care of children who needed transplants, who were you know, burn victims, who are trauma patients, who are everything. And if there was one thing that I learned, it was that if I could get a kid to laugh, I could give them a better day. And I remember a little boy who would not smile, Uh, a little boy who had cancer and suffered a lot. You would start an IV on this child and he wouldn't even flinch, like wouldn't move. You've grown men and women, you know, moan and groan and scream and cry when they get needles. This little boy had been through so much. And his mom told me that he loved Elmo. And I, it sounds ridiculous, but I literally would go home and I would tape and I would watch Elmo videos and I got my Elmo voice down pretty good. And I could do a decent Elmo imitation. 
And I came to work one day and I was assigned to him and he wouldn't look at me as normal. He always looked away. And I just started talking to him as Elmo. And this little kid's head whipped around and he looked at me and he got the biggest smile on his face. Now, the upside was is I made him laugh and everybody was amazed by that. And he had a great day and he was doing well and, and just seemed to everything flowed. The downside was whenever I took care of him, I had to talk like Elmo the entire time. <laughs> but, you know, the point is exactly what she said, that this power, this ability to get the human mind into a place where we're finding laughter. So how do you do that? Okay, so, you know, you're purposeful. Maybe you make it a rule in the hospital that when you're doing rounds or you're giving report, which for those that aren't in healthcare that are listening, you know, this is when I as a nurse am going off shift and I'm telling the other nurse everything that's going on with the patient so they know how to give continuity of care, that maybe you have a rule that everybody has to bring a joke or when you do rounds or when you have meetings. So this applies to anybody, the radio station. You guys have a meeting at the radio station. You have a rule that everybody rotates and they have to bring a joke. Now you never want the joke to be offensive or hurtful or any of that kind of nonsense. But you know, maybe you just have it, you, know, you bring a meme or you bring a funny TikTok video, but you do something that just causes like a moment of laughter. And what happens is chemicals fire off in your brain and you get some endorphin, you get some dopamine, you get some happy little things. If you were on an MRI, you'd see the brain firing off. And it changes you a little bit. Just because you've laughed, does that mean that you know, you're not going to be overwhelmed or be busy or short-staffed or not have enough of this or enough of that? No. But it just kind of prepares you a little bit more for things. And I do believe that as caregivers, we learn very quickly that happier patients, patients that are finding some humor or you're able to lift their, their spirits or elevate them, they're actually somewhat easier to take care of. They're in a different state. We've already talked about breathing into your nose for four, hold for four, exhale out of your mouth for four. Gratitude, be prescriptive every single day. Write down three things that you're grateful for. You can do this multiple times a day if you want. And then also tied together, surround yourself with people that are a little bit more optimistic and a little bit more upbeat and a little happier. Be purposeful about that and look for humor. Incorporate it into the day. Take the lead on it. You know, you be the person that, that brings the joke in every day. Rich Blooney, you are amazing. Thank you for this incredible work you do. Thank you for your time this morning.